it was not planned, but if there were ever a song that spoke chapter one of Ecclesiastes, you just heard it in music. So haunting, depressing, <laughs> beautiful. It was completely unplanned. When I heard them rehearsing, I was up here working through my sermon and reading meaningless. It's all meaningless, absurd, and that music just spoke those words, didn't it? I'm going to try to give y'all something good today. Something good's going to come. I feel it. It was a sad day when I had to explain to our boys about not being too friendly to strangers. You teach them to speak to people, say hello, make eye contact until they reach a certain age when they have a little more independence and then you have to tell them about stranger danger. It was a sad day when we were visiting our nation's capital and we were on the mall in D.C. and we were telling our elementary aged sons about Martin Luther King Jr. and this famous speech he had made about a dream that his four little children would one day live in a nation where they would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I vividly remember telling them that it wasn't so long ago that black people couldn't even drink out of the same water fountain as white people, and I remember their faces. I specifically remember the deep sense of sadness that I had with having to be the one to tell them about how horrifically awful people can be. And I remember when I had to tell our baseball playing hopefuls about the lie that hard work pays off. It's simply not true. I had watched them respect their coaches and put forth their best effort I had taken them to private instruction and I had watched them work on their own outside of practice. And I had watched other players goof off and not put in the work and enjoy more success than they had. And I finally had to tell them that hard work pays off is often a lie. I hated having to tell my children these hard truths, but it was better to hear it from me some people are dangerous, some people are prejudiced, and hard work does not always pay off. How do we so quickly buy into these kinds of falsehoods like hard work pays off? All summer we are looking at some aphorisms that we cling to, which in truth may be more harmful than helpful. Today's. Hard work pays off, except when it doesn't, which is a lot of times. Wrapped snugly in our Protestant work ethic, we want to tell our children that if they just persevere, push through, put in the work, that success will come, or they will make the team, or they will get into the college of their dreams, and all the while, we know from experience that that is simply not true. I think we've told ourselves this lie for so long that we actually believe it ourselves. But I'm here to tell you today, hard work does not always pay off. 
I couldn't decide which direction to go with this sermon. It could easily be a social justice sermon about how minimum wage is not a living wage and how some people are working two and three jobs just to not even make ends meet, much less offer a full and abundant life for their family. Every time I get to the end of the day and I think, whew, I worked hard today, I'm reminded that the truth is I am pretty sure I do not understand what a hard day's work is. At least I am well compensated for my efforts, but have I really worked hard? I think about the people who do work hard, and I mean real hard, and at the end of the day they head for their second job just to try and make those ends meet. Hard work does not always pay off. That's the truth. And then we often measure a person's worth by, by how hard they work. Well, if that's the case, teachers should be the highest paid profession. And yet, people that spend their days in front of a computer helping people make money by investing strategically, and then how do you compare that with a guy that spends his day collecting your garbage? That's hard work. But I don't think I'm going to go down that road today. The injustice of how we value work with compensation these days is simply, in a word, sinful. In the underpaid department and in the overpaid department. But I decided not to take the social justice road. I, instead, I'm going for the pastoral road today. But don't you love how I slip that in and say so you get two in one? In her commentary on Ecclesiastes, theologian Elizabeth Webb says that the preacher reminds us that work is absurd, meaningless vapor. Labor and toil are endless, producing nothing but pain and anxious sleeplessness, the preacher says. Success is also vanity, for it brings nothing near the satisfaction it promises, the preacher says. And then the preacher says, The cure for despair and hopelessness and the desire of God for human beings is to find joy precisely in this wearying life. The preacher has searched for wisdom. The preacher has used work to try to attain a sense of joy and fulfillment. But he finally says the cure for despair and hopelessness is to find joy precisely in this wearying life. Some several times the preacher asserts that when confronted with the apparent meaningless of life, the best we can do is enjoy ourselves. Take joy in eating, drinking. Take joy even in our work. A particular joy is to be found in companionship with one another, the preacher says. For later on he'll say two are better than one. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. We are to see such enjoyment in play, in work, and in relationships as gifts from God. Indeed, enjoyment comes, the preacher says, from the hand of God. 
It's one of the most often used quotes in church settings. It comes from the pen of the one, one of the most often quoted preachers of our day, Frederick Beatner. I'm very sure this quote was used at our ordination almost 30 years ago. There's no telling how many times and in how many ways what Beatner has to say about work and vocation and calling have been used. And after all those times, the way Beatner puts it still resonates deeply. Before I give you his famous quote, here's what Beatner says about Ecclesiastes. The author of Ecclesiastes is named Preacher. And when the rabbis got together to decide which books to put into the Old Testament and which to throw out, it's reported that Ecclesiastes almost didn't make it. You can't help but, seeing why, you can't help but see why, Beatner says, but at the same time, you can't help being grateful to them for letting it in under the wire even so. In that great chorus of voices that speak out of the Bible, it is good to have this one long-drawn sigh of disillusion and skepticism because the people who read the Bible sometimes feel that way themselves. So if you are a cynical sort, you have good company with the preacher. Beatner goes on to give this lively commentary of the text I read to you today. If you decide to knock yourself out getting rich and living it up, the preacher points out all you have to, to show for it in the end is the biggest income tax and a bad liver. And when you finally kick the bucket, when you finally kick the bucket, the chances are that your dim-witted heirs will sink the whole thing in a phony Florida real estate deal or lose it at the track in Saratoga. If you decide to break your back getting a decent education and end up a Columbia PhD and an advisor to presidents, you'll be just as dead when the time comes as the high school dropout who went into stuffing sausages and you'll be forgotten just about as soon. Hard work does not always pay off. And yet, here's Beatner's most famous quote about vocation. The word vocation comes from the Latin vocare, which means to call, and it means the work a person is called to by God. There are all different kinds of voices calling you to all different kinds of work, and the problem is to find out which is the voice of God rather than the voice of society or your superego or your self-interest. By and large, Beatner says, a good rule for finding out is this. The kind of work that God usually calls you to is the kind of work that, A, you need most to do, and B, the world most needs to have done. So, A, the kind of work God calls you to is, A, that work that you most need to do and B, the world most needs to have done. If you really get a kick out of your work, you've presumably met requirement A. But if your work is writing TV deodorant commercials, the chances are you've missed requirement B. But if your work, on the other hand, is being a doctor in a leper colony, you've probably met requirement B. 
But if most of the time you're bored or depressed by it, the chances are you have not only bypassed A, but probably aren't helping your patients much either. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Hard work does not always pay off. Work hard anyway. The work we find to do should be life-giving for you and for the world. Maybe if you're one of the lucky ones, you will get paid to do that. I'm one of the lucky ones. But do you know what kind of privilege comes with that? That I get to do what I love and I believe that the world needs and I get compensated for that? Well, I am among the very few. So maybe you get to do this work and maybe you get paid to do this work and maybe you don't. If you don't, find something to work for in your life that makes you a better you and the world a better place. And do not be attached to the outcomes of your work. There are no guarantees or promises for how it will turn out. You may not make the team. You might not get into the school. You may not become a success. Work hard anyway. When we first came to Park Road and we crafted the parent-child dedication service, we included offering a blessing to the child as we held the child up into the air. The first few times we recited this blessing, it went like this. By this act of dedication, we welcome you to a journey that will take your whole life. This is the beginning of God's experiment with your life. What God will make of you, we know not. Where God will take you, surprise you, we cannot say. This we do know and this we say, God is with you. And after a few times of doing that dedication, someone came to us and said, I don't agree with all you say in that dedication. We're like, what? We have not gotten it right. So we go back and we look at it and we acknowledge our theology was way off. Those poor first babies. Here's how we say it now and see if you catch the difference. By this act of dedication, we welcome you to a journey that will take your whole life. This is the beginning of God's experiment with your life. What life will make of you, we know not. Where life will take you, surprise you, we cannot say. This we do know, this we say, God is with you. Did you catch it? What God will make of you, we don't know. Where God will take you, we don't know. No, life takes us those places. Life makes something out of us. And God 
is with us on the journey. God is with us as life takes us on a journey. So perhaps we should simply work hard at living. No matter the outcomes, work hard at living. And work hard at connecting with God who is with us every step of the way. And work hard at connecting with each other, for we were not built to go it alone. Hard work does not always pay off. God is with us as life takes us on a journey. So work hard at living. May it be so. Amen.